knocked Micawber. It is Murdstone who beats David and sends him to the factory. Dickens's painful journey back into his own life resulted in a masterpiece, an ingenious blend of fact with fiction, a mingling of youthful innocence and mature reflection on that youth, as in the portrayal of David's blind hero-worship of the cad Steerforth, even while Steerforth is secretly seducing little Emily. Dickens creates, too, a gallery of wonderfully vivid characters, whose images and language have passed into common usage. Micawber, bald-headed and egg-shaped, always waiting for something to turn up. Uriah Heep, whose red hair hints at his devilish scheming, hides behind being so very humble. While Mr. Barkis, the carrier, declares he is willing to marry Clara Peggotty. It is a rites-of-passage novel. David faces the difficulties we all experience in growing up and coming to terms with the world around us. Dickens declares that we must learn to be generous and value family life, and because David's story is largely Dickens's own, it is the more convincing. Dickens referred to this novel as his favourite child. I seem to be sending some part of myself into the shadowy world, he wrote. David meets the Micawbers. "'Master Copperfield,' said Mrs. Micawber, "'I make no stranger of you, and therefore do not hesitate to say that Mr. Micawber's difficulties are coming to a crisis.' It made me very miserable to hear it, and I looked at Mrs. Micawber's red eyes with the utmost sympathy. With the exception of the heel of a Dutch cheese, which is not adapted to the wants of a young family,' said Mrs. Micawber, there is really not a scrap of anything in the larder. I was accustomed to speak of the larder when I lived with Papa and Mamma, and I use the word almost unconsciously. What I mean to express is that there is nothing to eat in the house. Dear me, I said in great concern. I had two or three shillings of my week's money in my pocket, from which I presume that it must have been on a Wednesday night when we held this conversation, and I hastily produced them, and with heartfelt emotion begged Mrs. Micawber to accept of them as a loan. But that lady, kissing me and making me put them back in my pocket, replied that she couldn't think of it. "'No, my dear Master Copperfield,' said she, "'far be it from my thoughts. But you have a discretion beyond your years, and can render me another kind of service, if you will, and a service I will thankfully accept of.' I begged Mrs. Micawber to name it. "'I have parted with the plate myself,' said Mrs. Micawber. Six tea, two salt, and a pair of sugars I have at different times borrowed money on, in secret, with my own hands. But the twins are a great tie, and to me, with my recollections of papa and mamma, these transactions are very painful. There are still a few trifles that we could part with. Mr. Micawber's feelings would never allow him to dispose of them, and click it— this was the girl from the workhouse, being of a vulgar mind, would take painful liberties if so much confidence was reposed in her. Master Copperfield, if I might ask you— I understood Mrs. Micawber now, and begged her to make use of me to any extent. I began to dispose of the more portable articles of property that very evening, and went out on a similar expedition almost every morning, before I went to Murdstone and Grinby's. Mr. Micawber had a few books on a little chiffonier, which he called the library, and those went first. I carried them one after another 
to a bookstall in the city road, one part of which near our house was almost all bookstalls and bird shops then, and sold them for whatever they would bring. The keeper of this bookstall, who lived in a little house behind it, used to get tipsy every night, and to be violently scolded by his wife every morning. More than once, when I went there early, I had audience of him in a turn-up bedstead with a cut in his forehead or a black eye, bearing witness to his excesses overnight. I'm afraid he was quarrelsome in his drink. And he, with a shaking hand, endeavouring to find the needful shillings in one or other of the pockets of his clothes, which lay upon the floor, while his wife, with a baby in her arms and her shoes down at heel, never left off rating him. Sometimes he had lost his money, and then he would ask me to call again— but his wife had always got some, had taken his, I dare say, while he was drunk, and secretly completed the bargain on the stairs as we went down together. At the pawnbroker's shop, too, I began to be very well known.